All right, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, it's been about six, seven weeks since we've been in Ephesians, give or take. Um, So instead of just a recap of verses 1 through 10, just a real, real brief kind of of reminder of (laughs) what we're doing in Ephesians, right? Okay, I mean, obviously we're, we're going through the the book verse by verse, but um, Paul wrote this letter uh, more than likely near the end of his third missionary journey, so it's a later, actually it was, it, it was, it's a prison epistle, so definitely after the end of his third missionary journey. Um, it's a prison epistle along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, it's believed by scholars that this might have been a circular letter. Um, because what you see in chapter 1, verse 1, where it says to the saints who are in Ephesus and some early manuscript copies of Ephesians, Ephesus is left blank, and there's actually a space there. Um, either way, uh, this would have been written to church, the church in Ephesus. Now, if you remember, Ephesus is a primary city in Asia Minor. Uh, if you remember through our study in Revelation, Ephesus is the first church to which Christ, through the Apostle John, writes a letter. Um, and it's, it's, it's the first along this trade route that kind of traces a semicircle through all the seven cities in Asia Minor. It's a big city, so it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility to presume that there wasn't a church in Ephesus. There might have been churches in Ephesus because you would have had groups, and they may have planted groups in the, in the, in the area. Either way, he's writing to these saints here. And this letter, unlike some of the other ones we've looked at, um, well, the other one, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, uh, we looked at Romans 2, but this letter is not like 1 Corinthians, it's not like Philippians, it's not like Colossians, it's not like the Thessalonian letters, where he is writing to answer specific questions and deal with specific problems. Uh, This is more a letter like Romans, where he is dealing with broad sweeping topics, and in this case, uh, what I'm calling the glory of Christ in the life of the church. Uh, So he starts in chapter 1, verse 3 uh, through 14 to talk about uh, our redemption in Christ from eternity past, how we are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sealed by the Spirit. He then prays um, in verses 15 through 23, that we will know uh, the hope to which we were called, that we would grow in our knowledge of and wisdom in God, that, that, that this power that worked in Christ when, it, when God raised him from the dead would be at work in our lives. And then he, in verses 1 through 10, he kind of comes out of eternity past, if you will, and comes into the here and now and shows how those who were chosen in Christ, redeemed by, or chosen before the foundation of the world by the Father, redeemed in Christ, sealed by the Spirit, how they come to faith in the here and now. And it's done by grace through faith as 
God makes dead sinners alive in Christ by faith. He calls them. He makes them alive together. He seats us together. Uh, we, uh, all these kind of together passages, all of us together in Christ. Uh, and then we've been saved by grace through faith. Uh, it is God's gift by grace. It is not by works. Uh, but it is unto good works. So that's kind of where we left off uh, some time ago. So just like I said, a relatively brief um, overview of where we have been. Now the remainder of chapter 2 is going to look at how this body that Christ is calling by his spirit, the church, is, is a combination of Jew and Gentile. It's one new man he's going to say. Uh, we're going to see that, Lord willing, next week. Um, but he talks here in the passage, we're going to look at how Gentiles who were at one time outside of the covenant, outside of the promises, outside of hope, outside of anything remotely positive, how they are brought near. And then later on, he's going to talk about how the dividing wall has been separated or has been uh, torn down, how Christ is building one new man, how that foundation is going to be laid by the apostles with Christ as the cornerstone of the foundation of this church. And he's going to use now the image of the church as a temple um, later on. He's going to get to that. But we are a temple built up, uh, built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Christ as the cornerstone. Peter will draw uh, images from that too in his epistle when, we, when he calls each of us, we are living stones and we're built together into a house unto the Lord. Um, but this one here, what we're going to look at just specifically in our passage, essentially can be boiled down to this. The sorry state of the Gentiles under the Old Covenant <laughs> is they were outsiders. They were outsiders looking in. They were the, the, the goy, the goyim, the, the nations, the others. They were, they were those who were not part originally of Abraham's seed. Now, We'll look at this in a moment. They, they could come in. They could be brought in. But that was very rare in the Old Testament. You have some uh, biblical cases of that. Ruth uh, was brought in. She was a Moabitess. She was brought in. You have others that were brought in. But by and large, in the Old Covenant, was, it was primarily reserved for uh, ethnic descendants of, of Abraham. Uh, children naturally born uh, in the Jewish family. Um, but here Jesus is, or Paul is going to speak about how Gentiles in the flesh are brought near. So the blood of Christ, that's our theme, the blood of Christ brings near those who are far off. So we're just going to look at really each verse in turn. Uh, remember the past in verse 11, aliens and strangers uh, verse 12, and uh, brought near verse 13. So again, first let's just look at verse 11. Uh, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, and then all the rest of that verse, uh, if you have a New King James, it's kind of broken off by hyphens. Um, he's just explaining that. He takes, he takes a moment and aside. Gentiles in the flesh, he says, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the flesh 
uh, made in the flesh by hands. Then he's going to continue the thought in verse 12. What are we to remember? We'll look at that in a moment. But here he talks about how Gentiles in the flesh, these are the people who were once called the uncircumcision, which is not a nice thing, okay? <laughs> All right, it, that, that's a slur, okay? Just let's put that out there. That is a slur. That is like going to someone who is different than you and calling them a derogatory name based on their differences. I don't need to give you examples on that, okay? You can you let your imagination go with that one. But to be called the uncircumcision was an insult. It was derogatory. Uh, and and you, they are called that by those who are the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Now the therefore, in verse 11, of course, you know, the old saying, what is the therefore, therefore? <laughs> It is to point us back. It is to point us back to verses 1 through 10, how, uh, which uh, shows us the working out of the eternal plan of redemption uh, in the here and now. Sinners made alive in Christ. Now, if you remember, we looked at this uh, in, when we looked at uh, chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 10, when we looked at chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, Paul has kind of, gone back and forth and said, you, we, you, we. When Paul says we, he's referring to Jews. When he says you, he's referring to Gentiles. And he's been going back and forth and showing this. And then he, here you see it again. Therefore, remember that you, he's writing again to the church in Ephesus, which would probably would have been largely Gentile, but uh, would have had a Jewish contingent as well. Remember that you, once Gentiles, in the flesh. So, uh, sinners made alive in Christ. Now, of course, this is all by grace through faith, right? There's, there's nothing you can do. There's no mark you can put in the flesh. There's no, you're not born into, you know, you're not born a Christian. You're not, you can't earn it. You can't work for it, right? The last passage we saw this, it's by grace through faith, uh, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift what is the gift? All of it. Grace, faith, salvation. It is the gift of God, not of works. There's the dichotomy, right? It is a gift. It is not of works. It is given to you. You cannot work for it. It is granted to you. You cannot earn it. It is the gift of God. There's no room for boasting. And of course, in the purpose of being saved by grace through faith is to work, is to obey, to walk in the good works which God has prepared beforehand. So the glory of Christ in the life of the church is seen in this process. It is seen in the process in which dead sinners are made alive in Christ and made partakers of the heavenly gifts. Um, it is the culmination of God's plan of redemption, a plan here that we see in this passage is and what Paul is going to develop more as he goes through verse or chapter 2 into chapter 3 it is a plan of redemption that incorporates all nations, tribes, and tongues. All nations, tribes, and tongues. We've been looking at this as we've gone through Genesis, as we've gone through all of, you know, everything. I mean, this is, this is the plan of redemption that was worked uh, in the past. In fact, just as a little bit of a foretaste, if you uh, look at chapter 3, Where Paul here says that he is the minister of a mystery. 
it sounds kind of interesting, right? It sounds like, you know, you're, you know, we were talking last, yesterday in men's Bible study about Alfred Hitchcock, you know, and it's like, you know, the you know, mystery and all this stuff here. And he says in chapter 3, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, and he pauses again, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you read, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as, as, it, is, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. What is the mystery? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now we'll flesh that out more when we get to that in weeks coming. But that's the mystery. Paul has been granted to know this mystery. He's been granted to be a minister of this mystery. And he is now showing us here how the Gentiles are brought near by the blood. It has always been for a plan of redemption to incorporate people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Now, this was not always the case, which is why Paul in verse 11 says, calls his Gentile readers to remember, right? They weren't always part of this um, thing that God is doing. They were at one time outsiders. He's gonna, we're going to see that in the next verse, aliens and strangers. He's going to call them to remember, which means to be mindful, to be reminded of, to remember, to call to mind. We'll look at that in a moment, though many of us still like to live in the past, right? We still like to, uh, we, we, even though we still like to live in the past, we so often forget the past, right? We so often forget the past. The Jews often forgot their past. They were constantly reminded of this. I'm just going to look at a few passages in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, as he's giving the commandments again, and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, in Exodus, when he gives the Sabbath command, it, he, he, he uh, plants it and, 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 and uh, supports it by looking at creation week. But when he comes here in the second reading of the law, he tells them, look, Remember, what are they to remember? You were slaves. <laughs> you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out. He brought you out. They constantly needed this reminder. Chapter 8, verse 2 of Deuteronomy. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Remember. Why? Because they will forget. The generation that came out of Egypt, how soon was it before they forgot the Lord their God at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses was up on the mountain? You know, a few months, right? 40 days or so, and then, you know, give or take the travel time from Egypt to the foot of Sinai, they forgot. They forgot. And now he's reminding this new generation, remember, now they're going to forget because... They'll, they'll conquer the land, and then the time of the judges comes, and guess what? They forgot. <laughs> uh, one more, chapter 9, verse 7. Remember, 
Do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Now he's reminding them what their fathers did. Okay, first, remember that you were slaves and God freed you. Now remember your fathers disobeyed me in the wilderness and I judged them. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. And I could, there's plenty of other verses you can pull up here. But remember, why? Because we forget. So Paul is telling his Gentile readers, remember something. Remember something. And he goes on and says here, they're, they're being warned not to forget their past. Uh, part of that being hinted at by the fact that they were called the uncircumcision. So he's, in a sense, he's saying, remember the time that you were called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision? Remember how the Jews looked at you and said, you are outsiders, you are, you are not part of our community? Do you remember that? That's what you need to remember. Now note, Gentiles in the flesh, right? It, it was all about that mark, <laughs> For, for the Jews, at least during Paul's day. It was all about the mark. It was all about whether or not you had the mark in the flesh. Paul brings this up in Romans 2. If you remember when we looked at Romans 2, he says the one who is a Jew is not one who is one outwardly with a circumcision made by hands, but one who is one inwardly with a circumcision that is made on the heart. The mark without, that is made without hands. Right, circumcise your hearts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is something that was, you know, and again, they forgot. They needed to be <laughs> reminded of that fact. So uh, it's all about the physical mark, and Paul here is going to say it's not about the physical mark. It is not about the physical mark. So we'll see in a moment what the Gentiles were to remember, but it's also a good reminder for us that at one time we were without Christ. Right? And what were we when we were without Christ? Well, Paul in Romans 5, 8 says we were enemies. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, when he's chiding the, the Corinthians about their immorality, he says, and such were some of you. What were some of you? Well, look at verses 9 through 10 in 1 Corinthians 6. And it's a whole list of nasty things. Idolaters, drunkenness, homosexuals, thieves, revilers, all these things. And such were some of you. Remember, God called you out of that life. Therefore, don't go back and live that life. Um, we are to remember what we were without Christ. So that brings us now to verse 12. This is what they were to remember, that they were aliens and strangers. He calls his readers to remember their sorry state before coming to Christ. Now, he, he mentions four things that they were before Christ. They were without Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers from the covenants of promise. And they were without hope and without God in the world. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. First, they are without Christ. Just let's look at verse 12 again. So, uh, bringing the thought from verse 11, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time you were without Christ, that's the first thing. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, that's the second thing, uh, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
That's, pretty, that's a pretty sad state of affairs when you combine all four of those things together. Right? You are without Christ, or you're without the Messiah, without the Savior. You are alienated from the commonwealth of God's people. You are strangers to the covenants of promise. You didn't have any, any hope. And then you're without hope and without God in the world. It's a pretty sad state of affairs. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty bad, I would say. I think that's <laughs> saying it mildly. So first, without Christ. This is interesting because you wouldn't necessarily associate being a Jew as with being with Christ, right? I mean, most of the Jews by this time, when Paul's writing this, many Jews, most Jews, have rejected Christ. So you wouldn't necessarily think of, of Jesus as being associated, or that, that Jews were with Christ. But again, remember how Matthew starts his gospel. He starts his gospel with the genealogy. He says that Jesus is the seed, or, or sorry, he is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He is the one who comes uh, in fulfillment of, of uh, Abraham's promise. He's the one who comes in fulfillment of the Davidic promise. Jesus, according to Paul in Galatians 3, verse 16, is the seed of Abraham. And Paul, remember when we went through that in Galatians, Paul makes a, he makes a very... Uh, a specific point to say seed not seeds even though we wouldn't necessarily use that word uh, in a plural form if you would say your descendants your, you know, your seed you would think of plural but Paul specifically says seed not seeds there was one, there's one seed of Abraham and that is Christ and salvation of course Paul says in uh, uh, Romans 9, salvation is of the Jews. Why? Because to them was given the covenants, to them was given the promise, to them is given the Messiah who is blessed forever. Amen, right? John, uh, Jesus himself says in John 4, to the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. It doesn't mean you're saved by being a Jew. It just means that the, the Jewish nation, Israel, was the vehicle through which Christ came into this world. So to be a Gentile, at least from an Old Covenant perspective, is to be without Christ. You are outside of Christ. You are without uh, the Messiah. Remember, Jesus comes as the promised Jewish Messiah. Secondly, he says you are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So alienated there is to estrange, to be outside of, to be considered an outsider. It was, in a sense, to be shut out of one's uh, fellowship and intimacy. Uh, again, they were on the outside looking in, right? You know, if you're hungry and you don't have money and you're walking down the streets and you, you, know, you pass by, oh, let's say you pass by, well, the Legion doesn't have any windows that you can look in. Let's say it does have windows that you can look in. Something happened, really? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you're in Lincoln, okay? <laughs> All right, Culver's, okay? Let's say you're, you're in Grand Island and you're walking by Culver's and you're hungry and you have no money and you're standing outside the window there watching someone enjoying a butter burger, okay? You're on the outside looking in. You're not part of that. You're not associated with that. It is to be considered an immigrant, uh, a foreigner. Uh, in Acts 22, verse 28, 
This is, um, Paul is arrested, and he, this is before he is brought on trial, and he's talking with uh, the commander of the garrison there. And the commander, uh, well, he, he, earlier he says, uh, in verse 27, the commander comes to Paul and says, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he says, yes. And the commander says, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. Paul says, I was born a citizen. Okay. Now, why do I bring that up? Because it illustrates this point of being alienated. Paul was a natural-born citizen of the Roman Empire because he was born in a Roman province. This commander, for whatever reason, perhaps he was uh, a conquered uh, slave, perhaps he was an outsider, and, but you know, worked his way up through the army, and you, were, you could purchase citizenship, but he says, with a great sum, I purchased this citizenship. Paul says, I was born a Roman citizen. So, you know, before that, he would have been on the outside looking in. He would have been considered an alien and a stranger to uh, the Roman Empire. Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were not part of the nation of Israel because of their Gentile birth. Right? They're not sons of Abraham. They cannot trace their lineage back to Abraham. Why are there so many uh, genealogies in the Bible? Well, A, A, they point to Christ. But B... They, are, they show how these people trace themselves all the way back to Abraham, their progenitor, all the way back to Noah, all the way back to Adam. So you've got this line, and it's showing you the progression of God's people throughout uh, redemptive history, and Gentiles were not originally part of that plan. right? If you remember when we looked at uh, Genesis 10 some weeks ago, who are we essentially descendants of, of one of th- Noah's three sons? Who would we be the descendants of? Not Ham. Not Shem. <laughs> Certainly not Shem. There's one more left. <laughs> Japheth, okay. Why? Because, well, Japheth would have been the progenitor of the Indo-European peoples. Many of his sons can be traced to uh, particular uh, tribes that eventually formed nations that we know today. Um, we are, in a sense, the descendants of Japheth. Now, there was that promise that was given that Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem, but we're not part of that people. We are Gentiles who are brought in, but before then, we were alienated. Now, again, they could go through the process of becoming Jews. Uh, Exodus 12, uh, 48, 49 talks about that. This is uh, in the giving of the uh, commands for the Passover. And he says, if a Gentile wants to partake of the Passover, they have to first become circumcised. In other words, you've got to be a Jew. You can't take the per- Passover unless you're a Jew. Now, if you're not born a Jew, you can become a Jew, but you have to become one. You have to purchase this citizenship at a great sum, particularly if you are male. Until that point, then, you are alienated from citizenship in Israel. Thirdly, they were strangers from the covenants of promise. So not only were they the Gentiles without Christ and alienated, but they were also strangers. That word in the Greek, xenos, uh, if you know the word xenophobia, right? Xenophobia, fear of strangers. Um, They were strangers, foreigners, essentially, to the covenants of promise. Uh, We're going to get to these when we look at them. Uh, in Genesis 15 and 17 and Exodus 24. 
but God made his covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Genesis 17, I will make this covenant with you and your descendants to give you this land, uh, repeated uh, throughout the Old Testament. Exodus 24, the covenant is made with the people of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. After he gives the law, he gives then the stipulations of the covenant, and then he makes a covenant with them in blood there at the foot of Sinai with the people of Israel. So all of these things, uh, the, the covenant was made with um, the descendants of Abraham. The old covenant consisting, in a sense, of the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants um, was a solemn agreement between God and his chosen people through Abraham. Gentiles would have been strangers to these covenants of promise. They would not have been, again, they could be admitted into it, but they would not have been uh, naturally part of these covenants given to uh, the forefathers in the past. And finally, you have without hope and without God in the world. So to be without Christ, to be alienated, to be strangers to the covenants, kind of boils down to you're without hope. <laughs> you have no hope, you're without God. You are, again, on the outside looking in. And this is the ultimate state of hopelessness, if you will. The ultimate state of hopelessness for results in the ultimate alienation. What is the ultimate alienation? Right, the outer darkness that Jesus would say. What's, what's happening in the outer darkness? Weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? And lamenting, great lamenting. Why? Because you are... Officially and finally alienated, you are without God in that time, and at that point, literally without any hope of salvation. This is what the Gentiles are being told to remember. Remember this. This is how you were, right? You Gentiles, this is how you were. You were uh, without Christ, you were aliens and strangers, you were um, strangers to the covenants of promise, you were outside of the covenant, so therefore you are without hope without God in the world. And again, it's always a good thing to re- for us to remember, too, that before coming to Christ, we are alienated, right? We are without hope. We are without Christ. We're alienated from the people of God. We are strangers to the covenants of promise. We are outside of the new covenant. Uh, we are without hope, without God in the world. But now we get to verse 13. Those first two words in verse 13. <laughs> what are those two words? But now. And, and why do I like them so much? <laughs> They're my favorite words, right? But now. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's that great um, reversal Right, you had a but now, or but God in chapter two, verse four. Here you have a but now uh, in Christ Jesus, as I've been emphasizing throughout the study of Ephesians. That phrase is very important. It speaks of union with Christ. You probably get tired of hearing me say union with Christ, but union with Christ is arguably the one of the most important doctrines that we can kind of get an idea of. We are organically bound to Christ. We are grafted in by the Spirit through faith. We become branches that have been connected to the true vine. We are now 
in union with Christ. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. And there, just as marriage is a one flesh union between husband and wife, uh, salvation, if you will, is a one flesh union between Christ, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. But now, but now. Before, the Gentiles were without Christ, but now they are in Christ. And in Christ, what happens? Well, alienation now turns into citizenship. Right? You who were once foreigners and strangers on the outside looking in have been brought in. Just like that Roman captain said, I purchased this citizenship with a great price. Well, your citizenship was purchased with a great price, but you didn't pay it. It was paid by Christ. His blood paid it. His blood was the great price that took you from being a stranger and outside of the covenant into the covenant now. You are now a citizen. You are now part of the commonwealth. So alienation turns into citizenship. Strangers turns into sons. This is adoption. We're going to see the theme of adoption uh, in our sermon this morning. But this idea that you are, you are now brought into the family. right? That's why Jesus can say when he says, pray therefore this way, our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Right? Not my Father. And then you just, you know, you guys just kind of hear me pray to my Father. No. Join me in my prayer, Jesus says, by saying, Our Father who art in heaven. You are now sons. If you remember in our study through Galatians, Paul makes a big deal about this. This idea of adoption. You have been granted by the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit now comes in you and cries in your hearts. Abba, Father, which is just what he says earlier in the book of Romans. You've been given the spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, you've been adopted. So alienation turns into citizenship. Strangers turns into sons, and that applies to women too. We are sons and daughters. Son is just the, it's a way of expressing um, connection, a legal connection in the family because the uh, the inheritance would flow from father to son. So we are, in a sense, all sons. It's not leaving out uh, women. And then thirdly, hopelessness turns into hope. Right? You, are, you, you have been translated from darkness into light. You've been translated from outer darkness, if you will, into the light of the kingdom of God. Hopelessness now turns into hope. When one is made alive together with Christ, as we saw in chapter 2, right? We were made alive together in chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, we now have become near. We are, those who are far have become near. It, it, it's like saying, okay, you and you and you and you, I'm going to draw you now into fellowship with me. I'm bringing you near. Nearness here is this idea of far and near. It's not... Do not understand this as geographical, okay? Do not understand this as uh, far and near as far as locality is um, uh, speaking. It, it's more of a moral uh, way of speaking. You are morally far away from God. Now you are, in a sense, morally brought in. If you remember the parable of the prodigal son, right? The younger son, when he leaves the father's home, yes, he goes geographically far. Right? It says he goes into a far country. Whereas the older son, was he geographically far? 
No, he was sitting there working in his father's home. Was he close to his father? No. He was morally far. He was in a faraway country in his heart. Right? And, and, and Paul will say this in other places. He said it in Romans, right? A Jew could be far from Christ, even though they are part of the commonwealth, they're part of the covenant, right? They've got circumcision, they've got the law, they've got all... They could be far from God if they're without Christ. Right, again, yeah. I see those two as synonymous. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying I'm, I'm using them synonymously. Yeah, relationally, that might be better. But a Jew could be far from God if he rejects Christ. And the solution, of course, is the blood of Christ. It is the one solution for both Jew and Gentile. Because it's not only, it not only brings both near to God, but also it's gonna, we're going to see it's going to bring both near to one another. That's what we're going to see uh, in the next passage, in fact, who is, Christ is our peace. He abolishes in his flesh the I'm just looking at verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh Christ, the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So he's, the blood of Christ not only brings those who are far away close to him, but it's also going to bring those who are now in relation to him closer to one another. So you have fellowship not only with God, but you have fellowship with one another, communion of the saints. We'll look at that more in future lessons. But the blood of Christ washes away our sins, it reconciles us to God, and makes us sons and daughters. Uh, just a few verses I'm going to look at. I love, you know, you know this one, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation, right? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Why? Because the blood of Christ has brought you near. Or 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why? Because the blood of Christ has brought you near. Galatians 3.28, where there Paul talks about how there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the blood of Christ has brought you near. All those distinctions that would separate you from one another, from Christ, male, female, is that happening in today's age? Absolutely. Jew, Greek, just think of nationalities. Slave, free, think of classes. Those distinctions in Christ at the foot of the cross are, are wiped out. It doesn't mean that there's no male or female literally. It just means that those distinctions as far as separating us in the world have been reconciled by the blood of Christ. We are all one in Christ Jesus. The blood of Christ does this. It washes away all these things and reconciles us to God. So, again, in verses 11 through 22, Paul, uh, this is a larger section. I'm just breaking it up into three smaller sections. Paul is, is showing us here, again, the glory of Christ in the life of the church by showing that the blood of Christ restores peace and unity. 
between man and God, between Jew and Gentile, right? Is what he's saying. That blood of Christ reconciles you to God. That blood of Christ will also reconcile you to your neighbor. All of us, whether Jew or Gentile, whether you have the mark in the flesh or not, were without Christ. You were alienated. You were strangers without hope in this dark world because of sin. We were all far off at one point. Even Abraham, right? We're going to see this tonight, um, at least a little bit. Even Abraham was far off. (laughs) The father of the Jewish people. What was he before God called him? He was a pagan. (laughs) Joshua 24, verses 3 and 4, 2 and 3, talk about how, remember, Terah, our father, and Abraham, our father, they worshipped other gods in Ur of the Chaldees. They were not God-fearers. What happened? God called them. He said, Abram, you're mine. Come and do my work. And Abram's like, okay, Lord, I will follow because that's what I do. (laughs) I heard the voice of God. I am following. We were all far away. As we'll see in weeks to come, the old distinctions are obsolete. There's no more Jew and Gentile. We are all one in Christ. And this is all accomplished by the blood of Christ who brings near those who are far off. So I'll stop here. Uh, Next week, the 24th, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 14 through 18.